morning. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Transformation Radio. I was a drifter. I had nowhere to go. I was hanging by threads of dust and bone. Every angel I knew was singing, Son, come home. But the melody was hard to sing along. Oh God, you're my deliverer. Testament. Our narrative today will be from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. We'll read through verses 11 through 21. We'll see that having a fearful responsibility to the Lord does not mean that believers become paralyzed. On the contrary, knowing God's perfection and that He will judge everyone's actions should spur Christians to do good deeds, to what pleases our God. 
Now, the fear of the Lord also frees believers from all of life's anxieties and worries. Knowing that God is for us can keep believers unafraid of earthly powers, people, governments, or the forces of nature even. God takes care of His own. You can count on that. The fear of God gives us uncommon courage in the face of life's troubles. And as we read on into uh, this passage today, we'll see that those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart are the false preachers who were concerned only about getting ahead in this world. They were preaching the good news for money and popularity, while Paul and his companions were preaching out of concern for eternity. Do you think perhaps that still goes on these days? <laughs> yes, a little bit, to say the least. You can identify false preachers by finding out what really motivates them. By their fruits, you shall know them. If they are more concerned about themselves than about Christ, about uh, money more than people, avoid them and their message, no matter how great they look or sound. Christians are brand new people on the inside. The Holy Spirit gives them new life, and they're not the same anymore. We're not reformed, rehabilitated, or re-educated. We are recreated and new creations living in vital union with Christ. At conversion, we don't merely turn over a new leaf. No, we begin a new life under a new master. You know, when we trust in Christ, we make an exchange. He takes our sin and makes us right with God. Our sin was laid on Christ at His crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. This is what Christians mean by Christ's atonement for sin. In the world, bartering works only when two people exchange goods of relatively equal value, but God offers to trade His righteousness for our sin, something of immeasurable worth for something completely worthless. How grateful we should be for His kindness toward us. All right, with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. September 1st, the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Because we, Paul and his co-workers, understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you Corinthians know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to Himself through Christ. 
and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Our reading in the book of Psalms for today is from Psalm chapter 45, verses 1 through 17. Now this is called a messianic psalm because it prophetically describes the Messiah's future relationship to the church, his body of believers. We'll see that verse 2 expresses God's abundant blessing on his Messiah. Verses 6 through 8 find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. The church is described as the bride of Christ in Revelation. And as we read here in this psalm today, we'll find out that demur is a fragrant gum of an Arabian tree, generally used in perfumes. Aloes, a spice, may have come from sandalwood, a close-grained and fragrant wood often used for storage boxes or chests. Cassia was probably made from flowers of the cinnamon tree. Well, these expensive fragrances were appropriate for a king's wedding. The location of Ophir is unknown but believed to be in either Arabia or Africa, and it was famous as a source of gold. This beautiful section of poetry pictures Christ's bride, the church, with the richest blessings as she unites forever with Him. Psalm 45, verses 1-17 through 17, For the choir director, a love song to be sung to the tune, Lilies, a psalm of the descendants of Korah. Beautiful words stir my heart. I will recite a lovely poem about the king, for my tongue is like the pen of a skillful poet. You are the most handsome of all. Gracious words stream from your lips. God himself has blessed you forever. But on your sword, O mighty warrior, you are so glorious, so majestic. In your majesty, ride out to victory, defending truth, humility, and justice. Go forth to perform awe-inspiring deeds. Your arrows are sharp, piercing your enemies' hearts. The nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Myrrh, aloes, and cassia perfume your robes. In ivory palaces the music of strings entertains you. King's daughters are among your noble women. At your right side stands the queen, wearing jewelry of finest gold from Ophir. Listen to me, O royal daughter. Take to heart what I say. Forget your people and your family far away. For your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The princess of Tyre will shower you with gifts. The wealthy will beg your favor. The bride, a princess, looks glorious in her golden gown. In her beautiful robes, she is led to the king, accompanied by her bridesmaids. What a joyful and enthusiastic procession as they enter the king's palace. 
Your sons will become kings like their father. You will make them rulers over many lands. I will bring honor to your name in every generation. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Proverbs 22, verse 14. The mouth of an immoral woman is a dangerous trap. Those who make the Lord angry will fall into it.
man, we gotta work on that for the next one. So what I thought was a handicap really became a strength. Like a lot of times we'll have some things that we don't, we don't understand it, we're going through some stuff, but it's only building you up and making you stronger for something else. It's like mad cool. Like I would, there's no way if I was regular, I could have came up with that stuff. I don't even know what regular means. So then when I turned 26, I moved to New York, right? There's a club in New York that's really hard to get into. I hope you guys are tracking. I was seven, I went 14, 15, I'm 26. I moved to New York, and uh, there's this, this club. In New York, the clubs are hard to get into. There's a club there called the Comic Strip Live, and um, they used to have an open mic on Tuesday nights when I first moved. This was a long time ago when I moved to New York. The way you get onto the open mic, which starts at 7, is they, comedians start lining up at 6 a.m. So they can possibly do 90 seconds in front of the manager in hopes that they'll take a look at them again a month later. It's really hard to get into this club. So I finally get into this club. It's finally my turn to perform. And this comedian named George Wallace walks in. Now, I love George Wallace, but here's the problem. When somebody like that walks into the club, whoever's next automatically gets bumped. I was next. I'm about to get bumped. The manager's walking over to me, and I already know what he's going to say. He's about to bump me. This is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I first noticed him. The manager says to me, Michael, listen, George Wallace is here. You want to go on before him or after him? I was like, uh, let me go on before him. So I go on before George Wallace, and I got the audience actually laughing. I'm talking about a New York audience. If New Yorkers don't like you, the way they let you know is they say, we don't like you. <laughs> so I got the New York crowd laughing, and then George Wallace comes in, and now he's laughing too. I'm like, oh, snap. After the show, there's a bunch of comedians, they're all talking to George Wallace, I'm giving him his space. He leaves them and comes over to me and he says, you're really funny, let me ask you a question. He said, why don't you curse? I was like, I don't know, what my grandmother walk in or something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's all I came up with, what was I gonna say? My friend might hit me in the chest, I'm a grown man. <laughs> so then he said to me, he said, you're really funny, I'd love to do a show I'd love for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I was like, oh, snap. It was awesome doing a show with George. I didn't even know who his best friend was. It ain't matter. They sent a car to pick me up. We go do the show. It's, it's me, George Wallace, and Jerry Seinfeld. So we do the show. I rip. It's like three shows. I get three standing ovations. I'm like, I'm the man. Yeah. Afterwards, my manager says to me, says, Michael, hey, you, you want to go to church with me tomorrow? I was like, church? I just got three standing ovations. Why did I go to church? You was messing this up. Am I sick or something? Why did I go to church? Because every time I saw a church on TV, it was always something wrong with somebody. So I almost died, then I found Jesus. I wasn't about to die. Or somebody was like, I was on drugs, and I found Jesus. I've never done drugs. That's not my story. I've never done drugs. I've never, I've never done drugs. I've never smoked. I stopped cursing when I was 14 years old. I'm not trying to hear about this Jesus stuff. Then his fiance asked him to go, and she was fine. I ain't even know pretty people went to church, man. I ain't know it was necessary. I didn't know the rules. And she had an accent. She was like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, absolutely. 
Yo, so I go to this church. It's, it's about the size of this one. The church is huge. I couldn't even find the people who invited me. So I sit in the back, right? And this dude is up on stage talking about Jesus. He ain't screaming. He ain't yelling. He don't got no perm. <laughs> dude just talking about Jesus, right? Then he did this thing. He said, can I get a hallelujah? He wanted everybody in the audience to say hallelujah. And it's like 5,000 people in the church. So 4,999 people said hallelujah. And I said, I ain't saying that. I don't know what it means. Then he said, in case there's someone in here that doesn't know what hallelujah means. I was like, this place is creepy. <laughs> he said, it's like the highest praise you can give God. I was like, man, I didn't, wow. Then he, did a, then he did this thing. He did an altar call, right? And he said, if you want Jesus in your life, you know, just scream like a baby. That's what he said. Um, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, 71. For those watching online, there's a baby screaming. I'm sorry, that's confusing to you. People are like, I want them. No, that's, that's not. It's a different church. You got, it's a different church. He said, if you want Jesus in your heart, all you got to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and then come down, like, to the front. And I wanted to go, but I was like, eh, I got to read the pamphlet first. I don't know what this is about, right? Might be a catch or something, right? Because I had some friends who became Christian, and they turned creepy almost immediately. <laughs> you ever know, like, some creepy Christians? If you don't know any. I'm talking about creepy like you talk to them, and then as soon as they start talking about God, their voice change. I had a friend like that, like, yo, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm good, man. What's up with you? Can I tell you about the Lord? What is wrong with your voice? Or some people will pray with you without permission. You ever had that happen? Yo, you see the game? That was a good game. Man, that game was good, man. It was so good. God, we just thank you for being so holy and so awesome, Lord. I'm like, are we praying right now? So I didn't want to be like one of them creepy, cre I didn't know, so I read the whole Bible, right? You know how I felt about reading. So I'm reading the Bible and I'm going to church and I want to go up to the altar, but I told myself I'd read the Bible first. So I read the Bible, I'm, I'm going through, the, I read the whole Bible, I read the copyrights. The Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> Me too. So I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading, I'm going through it, I'm reading, I keep reading, and I remember getting to the part of Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. Yeah, I don't even know. It took me like three months to read the Bible. I had a birthday, and in February I was done. I'm 27 years old. I didn't even know Jesus died. But people were screaming and yelling. Nobody was teaching. Not where I could understand it. And the dude, and I'm like, right there in Matthew, he died. I didn't even know. Then I turned to Mark, and he died again. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and then Luke and John, I'm like, why do they keep killing them? What they doing? Got to Revelations, I got all scared, the letters were red, I didn't know what was going on, man. Reading the Bible is kind of like paying bills. You're supposed to pay attention to everything, but when they show up with some red ink, yeah, you better do something, right? <laughs> now I understand some stuff. I understand everything, but I get, I probably understand like a half a percent of the Bible, probably a tenth of that, actually. And a lot of times I'm in, I'm in uh, green rooms with celebrities and they'll ask me, they'll be like, explain God to me. And I'm like, dude, if I could explain God, he wouldn't be God. I can't explain him. So the best, the best understanding I give, I said, God is kind of like this. And this is really, this, this ain't even close. But God is kind of like this. Like, um, 
It's like a navigation device in your car. You ever been in a car with a navigation device before? You ever been in a car before? You ever been in a car? <laughs> it's kind of like that, a navigation device in your car. If it says go, if you punch in the coordinates as to where you want to go and it says go 10 blocks and turn left, then you go 10 blocks and turn right. It doesn't abandon what you're supposed to do. It recalculates what you're supposed to do to get to where you're supposed to be based upon where you are. The only problem is if we keep making the wrong turns, the road conditions are going to be different. They may be a lot rougher and we're running out of time. So you got to make a choice pretty much to change the game about where you're going. Because if you don't know, whether you know it or not, there's a game going on and you're behind some points. And you don't even know how much time is on the clock. So you got to change the game. When I stood up there, when I finally finished reading the Bible, I actually ran up to the altar during announcements. I was like, yo, I'm ready right now. I don't got to wait till the end, dude. <laughs> and that was a game-changing moment. For, I mean, that, that changed the entire game. Because now I understand I'm not just funny. Like, I'm funny for a reason. I mean, look at it. God literally had a plan long before I knew he had a plan. I'm seven years old. I get a taste of church. I don't like it. I got all this funny as a result of it. But my grandmother was praying. I turned 14 years old, I decided on my own let's not curse anymore, really? Imagine how hard it would have been if I would have started doing comedy cursing and now I'm trying to clean it up. No. God was like, I know what I want you to do. I couldn't, I had a hard time, I couldn't read. God was like, I know you're struggling, but I want you to look at things differently because I got something for you to do. I could have checked out a long time ago, this ain't fair. But now I can clearly see. It was all about getting me in shape. I had to get in game shape. So when the game changed, I was ready. Oh, I just made that up right now. It's awesome, God. Thanks for that. It's phenomenal. All right, so check it. There's got to be more than going back and forth.
saying it's too late well, Let me introduce you to grace, grace, God's grace No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars